Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. Well, let's get started. And today I am meeting with Jack Nikolai from Adobe. Hello, Jack. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing, doing great. Thank you. Well, I'm uh, at my home office on Vashon Island near Seattle. Where are you talking to us from? Also from Seattle itself. All right. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's been a been a difficult uh, year the past year, but uh, it, it's uh, good to be able to see you. Uh, we've talked by uh, email and LinkedIn and things like that before, and I, I believe we've met at your facility uh, when when the when facilities were open. Um, you're you were uh, located at the was it the, it was the Fremont facility in Seattle? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a great location, right? Uh, right by the Fremont Bridge. Yeah, it's really well, yeah, it's really nice. Uh, well, I thought we'd you know just start off uh, with you talking a little bit about you know what your position is right now and and what you're involved with at Adobe. Yeah, so I'm a senior product manager of accessibility. Um, a lot of my focus is on um, some of our creative cloud products as well as our web products or web properties like adobe.com and so uh you know how i engage with with different teams kind of can vary depending upon where a product is in its life cycle um, whether it's something brand new that we're building and so i'm working closely with the product manager and let's say the designers to help craft new features with accessibility first in mind um, and then often acting as an educator um, to help drive accessibility into that early work, um, as well as then supporting engineering and test, uh, so that as they are building and validating the work, that that they're also keeping accessibility in mind. So, really helping to drive accessibility into all the different steps of a software development lifecycle. And um, you know, in some cases, we're um, myself and my teammates are working with products that have been around a while. And so really getting in and evaluating what's the current state of that application from an accessibility standpoint, um, providing feedback and helping to drive roadmaps to re remediate those products and raise the bar in terms of their accessibility. Well, I, I wanted to, uh, to definitely uh, talk with you a little bit about uh, some of the details of, of that work, but uh, one of the things that I like to do in uh, this series is just get a little bit of idea of, you know, what people's backgrounds were and how they ended up uh, into accessibility. It seems like uh, uh, in this area, everybody has a different story that brought them here. So uh, tell us a little bit about what your journey was like. Yeah, I think, you know, my first exposure to accessibility was really early in my in my career. Um, I started getting into web development right at the uh, near, near, near the year 2000. And so in 2000 was actually the, the first uh, time that I, I got a job with a, a really a technology related company, which was an e-learning company based out of 
the Minneapolis area. And in working, of course, with an e-learning company, they had a focus on accessibility in everything that we were building. And so I was really exposed to the need and the value of accessibility early in my career. I sort of diverged from it for a, a number of years as I ended up um, doing a lot of flash development, which you know was never really uh, an accessible platform at the time. And uh, doing a lot of online advertising sort of, I would say sort of lost myself in the woods for a while when it came to accessibility. Um, but, you know, fast forward several years, I ended up uh, moving to Seattle and uh, pursuing the, uh, a job with Starbucks at their corporate location, working as a front end development lead for Starbucks.com. And as a company, Starbucks really has um, a clear focus on the customer. And as a part of that focus on the customer really includes ensuring access for that, those customers. Um, really showed up first in, in their physical spaces and making sure that their physical spaces are accessible. And then more and more was growing into how do we make sure that um, all the digital touch points um, are, are accessible as well, whether that's the website or the mobile apps or touch screens in the stores, different things like that. And so really in that time, um, you know, my my exposure and my interest in accessibility really grew quite a lot. Um, and as you meet customers who have a variety of different needs, it really helps, I think, to open your eyes about um, the kinds of gaps that exist, uh, the, the kinds of needs that people have, how ways that you can support them. Uh, you know, ultimately, there's also a business interest as well, which is we want customers to be able to buy our products. Right. And so, um, you know, I think those, those things just align really well in terms of their, their corporate mission. And um, so in that time at Starbucks really worked um, hard at actually starting to build up a, a more um, concrete, uh, like accessibility program. And, um, and during my time at Starbucks I actually had my own experience with temporary disability. Um, there's a, sort of very rare uh, neurological disorder called Malda de Barkmoss syndrome, which uh, most people experience after exposure to some kind of passive motion. Uh, you'll often hear about people who go on a cruise for a week or something like that, and they get back and they never really feel like they've gotten off the boat. Um, they experience a continuous rocking sensation. Uh, it's It causes problems with equilibrium, uh, focus, uh, fatigue, um, a whole variety of symptoms, but as a collection, they make it very hard to concentrate, very hard to function. And, um, and so I had my own experience with that and ended up, um, on temporary disability for uh, a month, even beyond that, it was several months in recovery, um, finding it very hard, difficult to work. Um, and so, you know, really helped to also personalize accessibility work uh, from my own perspective. And so sort of a number of things uh, at, in, in that experience working at Starbucks really for, for me helped to crystallize my both my desire and my passion around accessibility. And, um, and then I just really happened upon uh, an opportunity with Adobe, happened to see a job posting for the work that I'm doing now. And for myself, I grew up on Adobe and Macromedia products. They were the things that allowed me to drive my career forward, um, really to help. I mean, it was, it was being an expert at those products was really um, my career. And, and so I really felt 
uh, and continue to feel a real um, responsibility for helping to make uh, Adobe's products accessible so that, you know, a young developer or designer, UX, you know, designer, if you have a passion and, and uh, you know, you want to work in the industry, Adobe products are some of the premier products to use. You need to be able to use them to really, I think, measure up in, in the workforce. And so to be able to enable more and more people, uh, the ability to unlock their own creativity really has, has been my, my goal. Well, uh, you know, just going back a little bit, you, you mentioned that you'd, you'd done some uh, early work with accessibility and then there was a break and then you had that substantive work with uh, Starbucks and now into Adobe. And so you've had a kind of a long uh, kind of uh, a time uh, time spectrum for that. But, uh, you know, just from your own experiences, uh, do you have any feelings of of you know what is what has changed in the area of accessibility for digital products and services from the kind of the earlier times to to now. Um, I know I know when I reflect on it, I, I started working on it uh, around 1998, 99, and uh, there's some things I could talk to you about where I'm I'm kind of amazed at how much progress has been made, and then there's other things where it's like. Wow, I really thought we'd be at a different place, you know, when I was thinking about it 20 years ago. Uh, has anything, you know, come to mind about, you know, along those lines? Well, certainly I think that uh, because, you know, because of the web content accessibility guidelines developing over time and those becoming more robust and people's awareness, and, you know, in the industry, um, you know, I think that has been a real benefit because people have a, a roadmap to some degree to follow uh, about ways to make their content more accessible, whether they choose to follow that or not. But um, in, you know, tooling has gotten better, right? Products like Axe or other automated test tooling um, so that, you know, it enables people to um, have more insight into the level of accessibility of their products. I mean, those kinds of things just didn't exist before. And so I think those are, are ways that um, things have gotten better and grown over time. I think there's always going to be a need for education. Um, and, uh, and I'm trying to remember the, the, the program um, with, with the college's access, forget the name of it now, but you know, this, um, there's a, a program with universities to help drive accessibility into curriculum. And so things like that, I think, are um, are really good signs that accessibility and inclusive design continue to become more and more um, in, involved, you know, uh, uh, included, I guess, in the work that people are doing. I talk to more and more product designers and, and inclusive designers or, or UX designers that are really excited about accessibility. Um, I think one of the, the bigger challenges right now is just barriers that we often find um, within organizations, often from people who don't necessarily understand accessibility at the time. And so they're often, with that lack of understanding, often prioritize other, other things in the business um, over accessibility. And so it can be hard for someone like a product designer who really wants to do the right thing and is really trying to drive accessibility work for their customers, um, driving up against problems with product management, not prioritizing that kind of work. And um, 
So I think, you know, some things never change really, um, but we still need to continue, I think, that process of education. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, continue to, to uh, uh, have more and more people uh, paying attention to it. And I know, I, you know, I feel as as well, that, you know, a lot of new people that I see coming into it through my work at the University of Washington uh, will have some knowledge or or. Uh, or, or want to talk about it, you know, and that's something that's different than, you know, you know five, eight years ago. Um, yeah. yeah no, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say even recently, uh, recently we, in the last year, year or so, um, uh, hired one of our UX researchers specifically for researching accessibility within our organization, which is just a position that didn't exist before. Um, and so, you know, we really made the commitment to center uh, accessibility within our research group as well. Yeah, well, that's great. That's definitely a, a progressive step to get, you know, to get that going so early in the product development process. Um, you mentioned your your own experiences with, uh, you know, what I guess is uh, maybe uh, the uh, the uh, illness that you had. Uh, I guess would sort of be like a, a cognitive physical yeah. challenge. Uh, I'm not familiar with that one exactly, but um, you know, when I think about uh, you know different physical categories like sight and sound and mobility, and then there there's cognitive issues. You know, that to me is always the one that it, it is the one that digital products and services really don't dig into or, or necessarily have the greatest solutions, you know, in my, my experience, uh, you know, I've, I've helped, uh, I've helped in, in volunteer situations with people who've had uh, uh, accidents, traumatic brain injury and things like that. And, you know, when I'm, when you're trying to help them, even something as simple as setting up a Gmail account, creating a right mental model for people with, uh, uh, cognitive issues can be really different. So, yeah, I, d I don't know, you know, what your experiences were, but like, how does cognitive, you know, what were your experiences with that? And, and how does that fit into the work that you do today? Hmm. Um, well, you know, it, at the time, my experience, because of like, I was, I was experiencing in some respects, kind of a sensory overload. Um, because of this constant rocking sensation, it was taking up so much of kind of my, my conscious energy. Um, it, it made it hard to concentrate, to actually sort of sit down and get work done. I couldn't, I couldn't focus. Um, and it, and it created just a lot of like mental fatigue, um, as well. And, you know, I think that, um, the cognitive pieces is, is challenging. It's hard because I think that they're, in, because there are so many different forms of, of cognitive disability, you know, you can try to move one sort of solution forward, but it doesn't, it only maybe helps three out of five people. Um, and so, and in some cases you might actually have solutions that are sort of like in competition with, with one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that there could just be, there can be a number of different kinds of solutions to your point, you know, um, uh, whether it's providing a Gmail account uh, in some situation, but I don't know. I mean, I think that um, I think that even even with CAG struggles with 
cognitive as well, the W3C. I mean, I think that in conversations that I've had that are in people involved with the W3C, like it's a challenge to try to actually create standards, actual standards around cognitive issues. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the best that we try to do is to provide a clear, simple interface um, that, you know, doesn't do things like uh, play animations that, you know, are distracting. Um, I mean, it can be little things like that using clear labeling, um, you know, using uh, uh, language that's going to be understandable at, at lower grade levels, you know, just to make things simpler. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately in the end, it, it comes down to user testing, right? You've just got to get it in front of users to find out whether or not it's going to be challenging for one audience or another. Um, so I don't know if that yeah. completely answers your question. Yeah, no, that's that that's great. I mean, it's like I mentioned at the very start of my comment. It's a, I think the more most difficult area of the the different physical challenges. Um, well, uh, let, uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about what you have going on right now. Are there any, you know, highlights from you know from recent work, things that Adobe has out there that you know people may be familiar with or 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 could look to. Uh, you know, to kind of see the manifestations of, of what you've done. Uh, we're, I think people are always looking for examples of, of what others are doing and, and finding success with. Yeah. Well, um, we, and I'll, I'm sort of speaking for one of my colleagues, but um, there is something called liquid mode for PDFs. And it is uh, a relatively new um, product release for for Acrobat and, and PDF that actually allows um, PDF content to reflow to mobile devices um, without actually originally being formatted for mobile. Um, there's a lot of like uh, machine learning and, and AI behind it that actually allows all that content to be reflowed automatically, which then makes that content accessible in, in a lot of different uh, form factors, essentially. Um, we had released in the last, I believe, year uh, support some uh, a level of support for voice control in our product Adobe XD, uh, so that you know on on the Mac using voice control you can actually drive features uh, of the XD application itself, like interacting with um, the menus and the canvas and and uh, and other things like that. So for people who may have, um, let's say motor a motor disability or or uh, uh, typically you know unable to use the, the mouse um, they can use voice control um, and I think you know we've made a lot of improvements for uh, adobe.com over the last few years and so I think you know for for me adobe.com is really the entry point for most of our customers to to buy subscribe uh, to learn to modify things about their account. Um, and so I think that uh, really making sure that the Adobe.com experience is an accessible one has been really important to me. Um, and then more recently, we've held with, because of the pandemic there have, we, we've driven all of our events to be completely online events. And so I've worked very closely with um, uh, the Adobe Max team which was uh, last fall, and then our Adobe Summit conference, which was just here in April, and really uh, working to ensure that we are delivering an accessible conference experience. Um, and you know, where Adobe Max uh, before the pandemic, we had about 
I think our, our last conference in person was about 14,000 people. There were over 250,000 registrations for, yeah, for the most recent Adobe wow. Mac. And so, you know, that's, that's a, a lot of exposure um, for that content yeah. uh, in, in a very short amount of time. And so, you know, helping to um, uh, support features like captioning for, for all of the, the sessions both recorded and live uh, to, to make sure that it's, you know, an inclusive experience for everyone. Yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. Those numbers grew like that. Um, it, well, there's one other uh, part I want, uh, thing I want to ask you about, which I, I, I asked a lot of people about because it's an interest area of mine is, is kind of like how the, there, uh, an organization has it, its overall, uh, accessibility process baked in uh so, so some organizations especially larger ones may have a kind of a centralized uh, accessibility group that then informs individual divisions and departments and provide resources and guidance and and things like that and and uh, others may be more laissez-faire may even just be about a certain evangelist in in one area and then that percolates to others and they try to you know string together a, a you know a comment or you know a complete solution um there's everything in between so i was kind of wondering how things are set up at adobe yeah um well more like you uh described at the beginning, we do have a centralized team. Um, we do have uh, a governance program um, that we we basically plug accessibility into a larger Adobe governance program um, that it also manages other topics like security and internationalization. And so we leverage that to help drive um, accessibility requirements throughout the company and uh, to make clear what the expectations are. and and it, to set milestones for teams to actually meet around accessibility goals. Um, and as a part of that structure, we also identify uh, accessibility champions uh, per, per product. Um, and actually, depending upon the size of product, the, the size of a product, uh, we may actually identify multiple champions just because uh, to, to scale across the product. Um, so yeah, centralized team, uh, governance program, uh, and and champions, and and then, as you were saying earlier, like you know our our centralized team then acts um, often on a consulting basis to help um, drive accessibility requirements, to help educate, uh, and and um, and essentially be that centralized hub for accessibility excellence. All right, great. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate all of these uh, insights and uh, also for you taking the time to uh, chat with me today and uh, good luck with all of your uh, continued efforts and accessibility at Adobe. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. But we bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners 
should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.